Hello, beautiful people. Welcome to Articulating, a bi-weekly podcast where we center and continue to cultivate the stories of Black and Brown people negotiating independent school culture and where they go from here. My name is Gina Parker Collins, mom of two independent school scholars and founder of Resources in Independent School Education, better known as RISE. And I am coming to you from somewhere in my home in New York. And my name is Sam Osborne. I'm an independent school alum, RISE volunteer, and creative. I was previously a New York City fundraiser living in Brooklyn, and I'm now pursuing an MBA at the Wharton Business School. We'll talk about the challenges, celebrate the wins, and introduce you to some people that you really need to know about. Follow Articulating on Instagram at artic, period, ulating, and don't forget to subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. On today's episode of Articulating, we welcome Aya Ramos, who is one of the co-founders of Black at Private School, an organization that was created during the civil unrest and racial reckoning of the summer of 2020. And they are here to support Black students, faculty, staff members, parents, and alumni of private schools. Their aim is to make sure that all of our educational institutions are equitable and inclusive. You can follow them at Black at Private School on Instagram. I know. Oh, wow. Which part of Philly? And then we can jump in. I'm, I'm sorry. I'm so excited. No worries. I'm in Germantown. Oh, I love it. Um, I So this weekend, I'm like working through a bucket list because I'm done in December. Um, have you heard of Harriet's Bookshop? I'm sure you have. Yes, I have. I haven't been yet, but I've definitely heard of it. Okay, yeah. I got like three books over here. I'm so excited to dive in. You got to go. I will. Thank you. I'm going to put it like higher up on my list now for sure. I feel like it's part of your brand. You got to make it, you know. <laughs> yep, absolutely. Sweet. So that's two people you can visit, Gina. I can't hear I know, you. I know. My niece actually um, went to School of the Arts, and she just never left. She wow. never left Philadelphia. And, you know, so Germantown, I became really familiar with the name of that city through um, Prep School Negro. And I noticed wow. that our friend... Andre Robert Lee is an advisor. He is an advisor. Private school. (laughs) How do you all all know um, Andre? So we all were connected through Jacob, who is one of um, the members of our leadership team. And um, they worked together previously. So we got in touch. To be honest, this whole thing came about virtually because we're in California, Atlanta. Now I'm in Philadelphia. So we connected with him after seeing the film. And he was like, yes, yes, I definitely want to support. Wonderful. So everyone, welcome to the second season episode three of Articulating. It's real. You've been on our wish. Your organization's been on our wish list, Asia. Oh, yes. I'm so happy to get a reality. It happened a lot more. You know, I would imagine, well, last year obviously was a very, very busy time for you, but I think it's always been in the back of our head that, you know, the stars need to align. So it looks like the stars have. Um, Yes. And we're excited about that. Yes. um, Black Act. Hmm. That's been going on since 2020. That uh, movement has been going on since Brother 
George Floyd's murder and the summer of awakening, uh, reckoning, and our schools individually were taking up space on Instagram with black ad accounts. And then all of a sudden we started seeing black at private school, keeping up the momentum of reminding folks of the, not only the opportunities at an independent school, but the trauma that can happen at an independent school. So you kept those stories up and thank you for that because our students, uh, we often talk about this, Sam, right? The labor. Yes. So right. much labor. The labor of of just having to to take up space to be to be authentic to release the trauma and um, they said what they had to say and here you all are so do you want to take us from the top Asia yeah. where how, how did Black at Private School this page on Instagram how did it get together. Yeah, it really stemmed from exactly what you mentioned, um, the civil unrest in this country, the just visceral feelings that we had in response to the racial violence that was happening. And then our shared experience of being students at private schools, being educators at private school and being black, right? And there was a commonality in that and a shared lived experience that we really wanted to amplify. So um, myself, Ian and Jacob came together with a host of other wonderful people who said, you know what, I've been following these pages and we're seeing some of the same stories, some of the same narratives and lived experiences. So this is an opportunity to come together, to unify, to amplify those voices and support of black students, faculty, staff, alumni, parents, to really just cultivate a network that fostered this kind of organic connection and collaboration with the goal of creating more equitable spaces for black folks on campuses. Yeah, and it's been great to see how um, the, so I know it through the account, and so in following the account, um, just seeing how it's evolved to, um, you know, the definition of Black has evolved, the definition of private school has, you know, included uh, higher ed, has included um, even non-predominantly white spaces, um, as well as the opportunities like, you know, scholarship and celebrating the wins and everything. So it's been great to see that evolution. Um, and you had talked about um, doing all of this over Zoom. So what is it like? It's a 501c3. Um, it what is it like? creating a 501c3 with the mission you've just stated what does that look like yeah can I, can, I just add, can I just add this in in less than a year's time yes yeah. but that's what that's what unity and passion and, and collective goals will do right as you can imagine it was a huge undertaking and I think you know as we all reflect on what life has been like during a pandemic I think one of the silver linings for us was really being able to collaborate across spaces right in another life and time, I might not have had the opportunity to meet an educator in California and an educator in Atlanta and be able to come together um, in a shared space. So it was a huge undertaking, but when our hearts were in it, which they still are very much in it, things began to happen organically and it didn't feel like work. It really just became a calling for us and something that we felt a purpose in doing. 
Had you known each other? How did you make those connections? Yes. Well, one of them was very natural to, be, to me because Ian, um, who sits on our leadership team, is actually my younger brother. And we attended the same private school. Um, and then through his, con I became an educator um, in the Bronx and then eventually in California. Ian became an educator in Atlanta. And through that, he met um, Jacob, who is a DEI coordinator and educator in California. So we all kind of just clicked and based on our collective networks, we were able to kind of expand um, who was a part of creating this work. And it's just been such a blessing to be able to hear the stories of so many families and students and educators and really just bring to light a lot of the things that we have been experiencing for far too long. And unfortunately, we're telling a lot of the same stories from like the 60s, from the from now, from, you know, everywhere in between and really just coming together in community. Wow. Yeah, I think the biggest thing is that um, no matter what the story is, there's an element of it that's shocking and eye-opening, but it's not a shock at all. And I think there's a lot of people, as many, I'm blown away by the participation of these anonymous students, but there's however many more, exponentially more, that don't participate, but they're consuming it, they're seeing themselves in the stories. Um, it's it's really quite an experience following um, Black at Private School. We so appreciate you following, Sam. And to your point, I think for many, it was eye-opening in that, oh, I didn't know what it was like to, to attend private school and be, you know, a Black student. And then for others, it was like, wow, there's someone who's out there who finally understands my experience. And I'm not alone in what I, you know, I have experienced as a student or a parent. And I think that sense of community really, really goes a long way because it's really important for us to create change. We have to heal together and create safe spaces in order to do that. For sure. Um, community. Let's talk about the community that follows Black at private school. Um, the demographics of that community, the, the geographic or generational insights of that community, because, you know, not everyone um, has experienced trauma mm -hmm. in independent school, but far more than need be have. And so do, have you noticed any insight on, you know, the demographics of those who might have experienced trauma? Um, is that a socioeconomic thing? Is that um, I've been at the school uh, since kindergarten versus coming into sixth grade or ninth grade? Is it a gender thing? Uh, have you, is it, what we do know though, is that it has happened over time. And so we have alum that graduated 25 years ago and say, you know, wonder why we're still dealing with the same thing. But I'm just wondering, you know, what that community looks like. Yeah, honestly, we have seen everything across the gamut. Um, again, what was impactful for me to see was just that across the board in terms of location and gender and socioeconomic status, we had a lot of these shared experiences. I think it became evident that um, a lot of the microaggressions around body type and hair and what you look like, a lot of our uh, female followers were experiencing and had a lot of shared experience around that. And then, you know, we had the stereotype threat and we had, 
a lot of the tokenism experienced by our male um, demographics. So I, I find that really interesting. And as we continue to dig into the analytics, I'm, I'm finding new things uh, along the way. And really what it, what it brings to my attention is the fact that you know, our main following is between the ages of 17 and 34, which is pretty wide for a platform like Instagram. And again, there's just so much connection there, despite the age, despite the gender demographics. Um, and I think it's interesting, too, for those who might be, come from a more affluent background, that being in these environments, they're still experiencing the same things as those of us who can come from less a fluid background. So again, that's that common factor that really has brought us together. Yeah. Um, I'm not sure if we're going to keep this in Sam, but you know, <laughs> we do light editing. It's, it's, I remember Dr. Eddie Moore Jr. Saying to me, we were on our way into an event and he said, you know what they call a, a, a black man, you know, you know what derogatory term they use that starts with the N. He said, well, what do you think they call a black man with a PhD? Same thing, right? So socioeconomic status, educational status, uh, that's, what the, that's what makes this so uh, traumatic that, you know, as black and brown people, we wear that on our sleeve, right? Our, our stereotype threat is real. It happens on, on site and in affluent uh, spaces that, are, that have been built not with us in mind, but for white and affluent men. Um, this is something that I think we're going to continue to experience. Um, so what, when you think about the work that you're doing and you're grabbing the analytics and you're still sharing the stories, I noticed that you're also sharing uh, how folks are thriving, right? So you'll show um, different scenes in the classroom, at school, with a black male teacher or a student that's really winning. Tell me how you deal with that tension of, you know, kind of showing both sides of the coin. Yeah, I appreciate you um, mentioning that, Gina. It is a hard balance, but we think it's important because just as I mentioned that we have to heal together, a part of healing is also recognizing our wins and celebrating our successes. And we recognize for a lot of our followers who would DM us directly or mention to us how certain posts made them feel that a lot of this was triggering in a way that it made you relive an experience, right? And while that can be healing and dealing with the things that are unresolved within our experiences, we also know that we sh shouldn't always live in that space. So it's important for us to celebrate the wonderful things that we're doing so that we are continuing to challenge those stereotypes and show Black successful students at school and successful um, Black teachers and educators at school so that when people look at that, they can potentially see themselves and understand that they have the potential to go down that same path and or create their own path. Yeah, yeah. And I'm, I'm thinking about, um, you, you listed a bunch of stakeholders. I didn't hear the schools, though. Um, does Black at Private School have a relationship with any um, private schools, independent schools? We do. We're actually working behind the scenes with a few schools to help develop their DEI curriculums. Um, I think we value our perspectives and what we can contribute to the table. And just like, you know, not all private schools are traumatic, as you mentioned, Gina, or not every person who attends one has that experience. We also recognize that the value that we get from attending 
private schools or the benefit that it gives our lives, we can also offer that same benefit to the schools, right? Especially given the history of this country and a lot of these independent schools with $500 million endowments, for instance, have been around since slavery time. So when you put that in perspective, a lot of the systems, a lot of the policies that exist are based on that foundation. So it's our goal to be able to challenge those. So to your point, Sam, we have been working with schools to be able to say, these are the perspectives of the people in your community that should matter and that matter most considering you know, some of the backlash that you've received and considering what you have stated your goals to be, because we want those DEI statements and those commitments to anti-racism to be actualized. And we know that's going to take more than a statement on a website. We know that's going to take more than holding a session for students to vent. It's going to take action and action requires authentic perspectives. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that sounds really, that sounds like a very positive response for um, institutions to seek your support in that way. Um, What else have you seen? Because I think that there was obviously, um, following last year, all of these um, accounts start popping up. And we're hearing from uh, a, a lot of these schools that, you know, oh my goodness, we have to jump into damage control. We have to come out with a statement. We have to reach out to the students. And, you know, there was even, you know, a number of schools that issued NDAs for uh, educators, administrators to sign. Um, what else did you see? Um, what did you experience on the Black Ad side? Yeah, on the Black Ad side, we've experienced a lot of frustration um, with the authenticity of certain policies and certain statements made by schools and a lot of pushback to the NDAs. Um, for the primary reason of us feeling like it's in order to amplify our voices, we can't be silenced with the NDA, uh, particularly because it was the, it was your organization that was giving pushback. Just to clarify, oh no, this this is what we have been hearing from other black oh, other oh okay, and and stakeholders at schools. Um, so with that being said, Sam, what we recognized was that. Again, it's one thing to publicly declare that your school is anti-racist, but a part of that real work of challenging those notions and challenging that deep history of racism at independent schools is being able to hold yourself and your stakeholders accountable. So with the NDAs, the pushback became, well, how can you hold yourself accountable if you're not acknowledging that these things are taking place on your campus? Um, Which is another reason why we continue to have that balance, Gina, of posting things that are very inspiring, as well as posting some of the things that might be considered more traumatic to, to let you know that yes, a lot of positive things are happening and we are moving the needle forward, but there is still a lot of work to be done. And and Asia, just to be clear, those NDAs are for those who are being paid by the institution. Students um, are not given NDAs or alum. I mean, that that's I think that's the power, really. I mean, if if there's any NDA you might want to be able to institute, it would be that, but you can't. Um, Our testimonies are are powerful. Uh, We have been ushered in the front of many of our schools as ambassadors, and you know, we talked with Jan Abernathy. Chief Communications Officer at Browning, Sam, and you know we we talked about that. You know how can you rectify um, really not doing the work 
but then pushing us in the forefront so that it appears that your school is uh, doing the DEIB work with recruitment as well as enrollment. So um, I just wanted to make that clear that students and alums should not ever feel pressured not to tell their story. Yes, I appreciate that. And I think one beautiful thing that we've seen come out of the Black at movement and Black at private school is the ally, the ally, um, the alliance between Black students and staff in particular, and knowing that, yes, there is a boundary between what it is to be a staff member and what it is to be a student, but there are still many shared experiences there. So to support one another through that, I think, becomes very important. And it's become very evident that students are looking for allies on campus um, and the adults that might be present, whether that's a white ally or someone who identifies as a Black faculty or staff member, to be that point person to say, I can create change and I'm going to stand up for you and speak up on your behalf to advocate. So when, you know, I am presented with an NDA, I can push back to be able to advocate for students. Yeah, I feel like that's the final frontier for advocacy. Um, the faculty members that have to toe the line of, you know, representing the institution, you know, being able to represent themselves as well as the students. And, you know, they're on the front lines. And I remember, you know, just seeing, I was skimming through your posts today and there was that one about, you know, you can't be too vocal and you can't advocate too much or else you get the difficult teacher or else you get the accusations that, you know, they're mistreating my son because he's not black. Um, and, and so, you know, that is something I just wonder and I worry for. And maybe it's something we can, you know, discuss another time, Gina, but just the faculty members, I feel like that's the one thing, like, how do you toe that line? You know, I, I can, um, in engaging with faculty members, I can tell the ones who are holding back. Mm. I've always been able to tell the ones who walk that fine line of keeping their job um, and also being a, a source of representation for other black and brown um, students and, and stakeholders. And I'm talking about our black and brown faculty, right? There are some who are just willing to um, recognize the fact that we're in this together. We have shared experiences. And um, so, yeah, we, we, we could definitely dig a bit deeper with that. I wanted to talk a little bit, Asia, about um, the impact, though. So if we take, you know, all this trauma that, that has been distilled and, and many of the stories are similar and we know them to be true, we know them to be true, regardless of whether or not they're anonymous, uh, we recognize these stories on a firsthand basis in very personal ways. Uh, in telling these stories, what has been the biggest impact you think? Because um, you pri black at private school sat and watched black at accounts of various independent schools bubble to the surface and have an impact. What impact did you did you see that was most profound? Yeah, I mean, I feel like I've seen that in many different ways on the school level. I really see um, folks who might have been more uh, hesitant feel more empowered to stand up to, you know, the policies and procedures happening on a school level and say, I want change and I see other folks doing this and I can do it too for my school community or I can create this collective at school to be able to push 
um, these very important agenda items forward to create real change. So that's been really impactful for me. And then being able to comb through those posts and hear those personal testimonies and to be able to kind of pull out the things that have bubbled to the top and say, okay, we know that these are issues. We've either experienced them ourselves or witnessed them or know other people who have experienced them. So what can we do about it now? And as a result, um, we've planned a series of Instagram live events, which we've gotten a lot of positive feedback around to really address the issues that are coming up. So for example, mental health and wellness is a big one. A lot of anxiety around, you know, how to navigate these spaces and how to have, how to develop the tools to cope on campus. So this past Sunday, we actually had a school counselor, Sarah Pullen, come in and discuss uh, those tools. Um, we plan to also have student panels in the future uh, to share their experiences in ways that they have dealt with things um, on campus. So really, again, putting this theory to action to create change and to be able to use our lived experiences and understand what problems still need to be worked out to formulate real solutions. Yes, there is absolutely no denying um, the amazing good and transformation that the organization has brought to students, to uh, alumni and all stakeholders. Um, I definitely want to, of course, think about, uh, you know, the devil's advocates, though. Um, and there's a lot of people who have made uh, complaints about, you know, the nature of Black At, um, which is that for a lot of the anonymous stories, um, it does shed a spotlight on the schools. And so, you know, what do you, what's your response to those that um, want to separate these incidences and these, they may say they're isolated. Um, uh, those who want to separate that from, you know, the school and having that be attached to these schools. Yeah, I mean, at Black at Private School, we definitely believe in restorative justice work. We believe that even though it's uncomfortable, it's important to be comfortable with the uncomfortable and really lean into that discomfort to create change. Because even if, you know, your viewpoint is that it's an isolated incident or that it's this one teacher or one class, the reality is that one person experienced this, right? And that can have long-term effects on their mental health, on their experience at the school. And in, in the long run, it really just reflects on the work that needs to be done. So again, even though that might be uncomfortable, it's important for us to lean into that fully, because if we don't, the idea of this perpetuating um, itself in down the road for future generations or other students, it's really important that we address it to kind of nip that in the bud. And we have an oppor a real opportunity here um, to create that change. And I honestly am so, so proud of this next generation of students coming up, um, you know, and a lot of the conversations I've had with the managers of these Black ad accounts are young people. And obviously, I did not have uh, social media in the same way growing up. And a lot of people have mixed feelings about social media, but I think this really shows the power in it, um, the power oh. of our voices and the power that we have to really just create a platform for ourselves if not if a platform doesn't already exist. Uh, we're good at that. Yes. <laughs> My folks are good at that, right? Our, our, so one of the things that I, I uh, think about often to justify 
my decision to enroll my children in independent schools. You know, I'm excited on one hand about this educational opportunity that they have. And then on the other hand, I do experience moments of guilt, moments of guilt because of the social and emotional um, labor and trauma that exists. I was just thinking about how we're supposed to prepare kids, how we're supposed to, you know, if we see an incident like this happen, I think one of the biggest things that always sticks with me is, wow, I'm sure that anonymous poster wishes they said XYZ or wishes they responded in such a way, but didn't have the tools, didn't have the support system to be able to do that. How are we supposed to equip families now to prevent things like this from happening. Is that where it was going, Gina? Yes. Great. <laughs> <Hey. laughs> I understand yes. your personal yes. struggles. Two of my three children are also at private school, Gina. And I it's a conflict, right? Having experienced it firsthand myself, it's a conflict because I know the quality of education is there. Uh, but I also know that there are some social battles that they will have within themselves and not necessarily have the tools to be able to discuss that. So same with families, Sam. I think when we push what the strategic plans are for schools and what the goals are for schools, it really needs to be people-centered. And I've seen a lot of schools, not all, but a lot of schools stray away from that, right? Especially if you have um, Black families, Black uh, students who are actively involved, who want to get involved, who are a, a major part of your community, I feel like there needs to be that that um, a, autonomy there to be able to create those spaces to address the real needs. Um, and for me, I make it a point to really push folks on defining what they mean by diversity, equity, inclusion, belonging, because depending on who's sitting at that table, that can mean very different things. And I want to make sure that we're defining that in the same way so that we truly are inclusive in, in understanding others' perspectives and what they are looking to get out of the school community. Yeah, for sure. A matter of fact, we are just about to post um, on uh, our Rise Instagram page a story written by an alum who is now a current parent. And that question of, will I send my child to an independent school? As an independent school alum that experienced so much, will I do it? And she's done it and is quite happy about her decision because schools today, not all, but many are people-centered, are community members-centered, uh, so that they do have the autonomy. Parents do have the autonomy to support their children, to ask for what it is that they need, to make sure that their children are not only academically successful, but social, socially and emotionally successful. And that means, as a parent, inserting myself into spaces so that I have a seat at the table when decisions are being made. Right. To be quite honest, my school's strategic plan, as we read through the strategic plan, we were like, wow, that's exactly what we said. That's exactly what we said we wanted. That's exactly what students said that they wanted, right? So listen to, listen to parents, listen to students, in particular, listen to Black women, because we will yeah. guide you in, we can, we can tell you how to do it. Yeah. The question then still becomes, will you do it? And right. so I love that, Asia. We do have to hold schools accountable. We need to return back to the table now that, you know, it's almost a year for many of these strategic plans. 
Mm-hmm. Where are we now? Where, Where are, are we? Exactly. You know, yeah. at your school, having diversity roundtables, having an opportunity to share that, you know, clearly we listened, we wrote it down, and this is, this is the action behind the plan. Mm-hmm. And if you're off, let us know you're off. But we need to know that you are intentional about it. Yes, because one training ain't going to get it, right? Like, we know that to be true. So it's, it's iterative like, work. It's iterative work. Yes. I don't think we'll ever be finished doing the work. So organizations like Black and Private School um, kind of taking on the torch from our students and alum sharing their testimonies is really important. It's really important that parents who are in the admissions process right now are applying with enrollment in mind. How will I walk with my children? To your point, Sam, how will I walk with my children ahead of them when necessary mm-hmm. and behind them when necessary. But there is never a moment that it should be, all right, babe, enjoy the day. I'll see you at the end of the day or when, when graduation rolls around. That's yeah. negligent. That's negligence um, on, on a number of different levels, uh, least of which is your investment. I mean, you, gotta, you are the consumer. Yes, absolutely. You are the consumer. And making so we have more accessible, mm-hmm. right, Gina? Because I know my mother was a single mother, you know, working full time. And so when you have family or PTA meetings at 8 a.m., <laughs> you know, and you have to be the work by nine, that's not inclusive. So creating your own space to be able to say, no, I am involved. I do want to be involved and I'm going to create a space where I get to have a say in what happens. because what are the consequences, right? We're seeing a lot of extreme consequences um, coming to light now, now that people are vocalizing it. Um, And I I really love that idea of not only autonomy, but having the DEI conversations with all stakeholders and making sure they're all having a seat at that table. Because I think for so many years, so many generations, families or students have had to figure it out on their own say they went through a, you know, like a prep for prep or a school placement track, maybe there was, you know, that training session about, you know, how to navigate white spaces. That was the extent of it. But a lot of the onus was on the student. And, you know, now we're bringing more people to the table, which is great to hear. Yes, 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 yes. Amen. Um, So I think maybe one thing we really wanted to do um, during this chat, Asia, was just to walk through one of the posts. I think it's really easy for people to, you know, at this stage in this current iteration of uh, the social justice movement is to, you know, they'll take it in, they'll take in this like brief like pocket of trauma and they'll keep scrolling. Um, I just want to be able to, you know, dissect this with you, um, a member of the Black at Private School um, organization. Um, So we pulled up a uh, one post that we thought might be good to just, you know, explore. Um, Do you have time? Does that work? Yes, yes, let's do it. Okay. So the post reads, in Spanish class, I did a partner presentation with a white student. We worked on it together and fully presented it together. In the grade book, however, I was accused of plagiarism while the other student was not. I went and talked to the teacher about it 
and they had no explanation and just told me they would change the comments. That's the post. Yeah. Imagine being black at private school. Yeah. Hello. Right. Uh, this brings up so much. And again, you know, sometimes we live, we relive this, we live these experiences. I've definitely had similar experiences and obviously implicit bias is truly at play. I mean, you have two students who did the same work with two different outcomes. And let's say the student didn't feel empowered to go up to the teacher, then what? That would just be on their record for forever. So I think what the student did in this situation was exactly right. They approached the teacher, they stood up for themselves. And I think the hard part, right, is, is pushing further. And sometimes you need a support system to, to do that, a parent or maybe another advocate on campus. But I would still want to know why. Why? It's, it's, it's okay to change it. Yes, I deserve for that to be changed, but why was it there in the first place? And then the school should be involved to be able to push this teacher to understand the rationale for doing this. Why did you do this? And where are those feelings or where did uh, that action root from? Because I think in addressing systemic racism, we have to be able to first look at ourselves and based on this teacher's actions in this post, I'm not sure if that actually happened or if it will happen based on their response. But I would love to know your thoughts as well. Yeah, I mean, to me, it sounds as if this student um, was old enough and articulate enough to call out the disparity, to call out the implicit bias. Um, it was definitely, uh, um, I, I would dare say a macroaggression. I wouldn't even say that was a microaggression. Uh, I hope that the parent of this child uh, was on this journey of an independent school um, enrollment process long enough to have been able to um, inspire and empower their student to ask the questions. I believe that when parents show up and advocate, Students watch that, and then they know how to advocate. So perhaps this this student was had the good fortune of having a parent who showed up and spoke up and was able to articulate the the disparities. And um, I hope that the next step was now I need to go to my dean. Mm -hmm. Now I need to you know if if I need be speak with the head of school. Yeah, and I think just the last detail, and uh, you touched on this, Asia, was just the idea that. Um, they knew it was wrong because I think for so many of these stories in these posts, I don't think the student fully understood what was happening. And then they're processing it as an older student or as an alum. Um, whereas this, it happened in real time. Um, and so, you know, that, just going back to that idea of, you know, empowering our students so that they know, hey, this doesn't feel right. I don't have the words to articulate why it doesn't feel right, but let me go to the, um, let me go to my teacher. So that's, you know, I, I, I really like this one just because we, we see what happens um, when a student is empowered because there are really major ramifications for an accusation like plagiarism, which exactly. could very well have impacted, you know, uh, college and beyond for this student. Agreed. So we are going to um, wrap this up. 
Um, I'll, we want to say so long, not goodbye, because we are yeah. really excited for the space that Black at Private School is occupying uh, to keep the pressure on, to keep the pressure on our schools uh, to help families uh, and students thrive and not just survive. So we're going to tell our stories. We're going to be authentic. We're going to tell all of it. And so we really appreciate that with uh, the platform that the um, Black and Private School provides to us. So if there's one thing that we can do to support the work of Black and Private School, what is it? I think the one thing that you can do at this moment is share, 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 encourage other people to follow at Black at Private School on Facebook and Instagram, purchase a t-shirt to support a student who can be able to to attend. So yes, all of that stuff lives on our website and our Instagram and Facebook pages. So please follow and support. So Sam, I'm actually going to gift you a shirt. That is the best gift ever. So you just text me what your size is. It's probably petite. Do you have petite? Do you have extra petite? <laughs> we, might have to, we might have to invest in extra petite. If not, I can show you how to craft a t-shirt. I've had great t-shirt moments this summer. Oh. T-shirts that just didn't quite fit right. I was able to cut them up in certain spots oh. and they were like, you know, Hulk couture. All right. Thank you so much again. Uh, more to come with Black at Private School. We thank you for the work that you're doing. Let your team know that. Say hello to Andre. He's actually going to be our guest really soon for oh, right. the 20th anniversary of the Prep School Negro. Oh, yes. I will definitely be tuning in to that one. Yay. All right. Well, thank you so much. Thank you. Have a fall. Good all right. Remember to follow at Articulating. That's A-R-T-I-C period U-L-A-T-I-N-G on Instagram. And you can listen to the podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. Thanks, Sam. Thank you, Gina. Thank you, H-A. Thank you. Excuse me. Thank you.